0: It's the United Arab Emirates turn to chair the Security Council. We have sourced a well-versed expert to discuss the geopolitics of the UAE and its multilateral policies. I'm your co-host as always, Damilola Banjo.
1: I am Kelichu Ogun. Welcome to another episode of Unscripted. We are joined by Dr. Mira Al-Hussein and walid bin talal research fellow at the university of edinburgh in scotland she is a sociologist with interests in the middle east and north africa migration women's rights and authoritarianism we discussed how the uae is balancing its economic centric zero problem policy with the shifting sands of unrest in the middle east and other regions where it has been building influence
0: get into it. The UAE plan to kick off its signature events with a briefing on the cooperation between the League of Arab States and the UN. The meeting is scheduled for 8th of June. It will follow this up with an open debate on the nexus between climate change, international peace, and security on June 13th. Dr. Usen says, the event on climate, peace, and security is of high priority to the UAE at this
2: time. I mean, just like you kindly mentioned, the UAE is hosting Co- COP twenty-eight this year in November, so this is this is of high priority to the UAE. And I know that it has been contentious because a lot of people um, are, were very critical of the fact that the UAE has appointed an oil person um, as as the head of uh, COP twenty-eight. Um, And and the UAE responded with different talking points about engaging industry and so forth, but actually it's very important, which is not something the UAE has mentioned, but the oil industry and, and oil industrialists have actually lobbied and supported the military interventions in Iraq. Which turned out to be about oil, uh, the climate devastation and, and the human toll of, of these wars were catastrophic. So I think engaging these industrialists is also important for security reasons, because we want to make sure that we are not the conflict zone, not the front line of any future conflicts.
1: As Al Hussein says, the UAEs or Moguls have significant influence on Emirati foreign policy. That multilateral approach has in recent times been shaped by a quest for stability and economic transactions that benefit the small country.
2: There has been an intention, there has been an active role in trying to pursue that agenda, the zero problem agenda. And we've seen improvement in relations with many different actors, um, such as Turkey, for instance, I think it was yesterday or this morning, I think it was yesterday, the UAE kind of like signed bilateral trade agreements with Turkey uh, Mm -hmm. to invest about $40 billion over the next five years. That is huge. I think the UAE is focusing on economic prosperity, sort of mercantile relations and trade and trying to kind of zero its problems moving away from its interventionist and preemptive kind of foreign policy in the past. This commercial
0: approach to diplomacy has seen the Emirates sign an accord with Israel, the legacy enemy of the Arab world. So has this really worked out?
2: The UAE actually negotiated the Abraham Accords. It, it, it didn't join an, an accord uh, that was existent. It, it started it. I think it was um, a way to kind of like ensure the recommitment of the U.S. to the region's security, to ensure that there's a backdoor through uh, the Israeli uh, lobbying in Washington to kind of ensure that there is some sort of engagement Um, maintained over time, there was also the other deals, military deals that were expected to kind of be fulfilled after normalization, which fell through. And I'm not sure we're necessarily seeing the return on, on this sort of investment, because this is a reputationally damaging investment, this relationship with Israel. And I'm not sure we're necessarily seeing the fruits of it just yet. So we're yet to see how that is beneficial for the UAE, especially that it has undermined relations with Palestinians.
1: Does the UAE's relationship with Israel through this accord stop it from advocating for a two-state solution with Palestine and Israel?
2: I don't think it it prevents the UAE from from trying to use that leverage, but is the UAE able to use that leverage and does it want to use that leverage? I don't f- Necessarily think so. I think the UAE is currently focused on its own um, national and economic interests, security interests, and it does not necessarily want to take on other causes in the region. Whether we, we, as you know, citizens of the region, agree with that approach or not, it it is a pragmatic approach.
1: So the UAE pulled out of a marine deal with the US. Um, around the Gulf Straits over complaints with Iran. At the same time, the UAE had a deal with Iran as part of its zero-problem policy, at least on on paper. And it seems like it's not skirting that neutrality and economic standpoint very effectively. Is this a view that you have seen on the field?
2: It, it's um, it came as a surprise to many of us. I mean personally I think it is wise uh, the US has failed to kind of um, fulfill its commitments or you know expected commitments um, given that the UAE has um, fulfilled its part perhaps with the normalization with kind of maintaining um, you know on the side of the US when it comes to different uh, security agendas. So it was wise of the UAE to kind of disengage from the uh, maritime um, kind of uh, rehearsals on the Gulf. But at the same time, the U.S. also did mention that the UAE was engaged in, in some rehearsals on the 24th of May. So we don't actually know if that disengagement did happen or will happen, even though the UAE said that it pulled out two months ago. We don't know if it's pulled out for the future rather than at the present. I think the UAE is maintaining a pragmatic um, approach to regional security. And if it works for the UAE, that's, that's what should matter best because the US really has disengaged from the region. So it's up to the, the countries of the region to kind of uh, put themselves first, put the security of the region and their interests, economic, political, and so forth, you know, as a priority rather than just being satellite states.
3: We'll be right back. Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, Former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Now back to the show.
0: The UAE and Japan successfully pushed a resolution through the council in April, condemning the Taliban for restricting the rights of women. A sticky point that held up the adoption of the resolution was the 3.5 billion US dollar of Afghanistan's foreign reserve under litigation to be potentially used as compensation for 9-11 victims. We asked our experts to give a take on why this money is not being allowed to reach Afghan civilians who need it.
2: Absolutely. But then just like you said, there's there's obviously this, you know, global hypocrisy and who kind of like gets to throw their weight around in terms of deciding the fate of other countries. But then recently the Taliban attacked Iran and the the language of the media, the US media around that kind of is reminiscent of the language of the media during the days of um, of the Mujahideen and their war against Russia, so who knows this the, these funds might go back to taliban if if somehow the u s is able to kind of weaponize the Taliban again against Iran There are these plans to kind of isolate the Iranian government. There is this concern about um, their nuclear uh, weapon development and so forth. And everyone is trying to kind of like contain Iran without having to confront it directly. So anyone who's willing to take on the the, the job of confronting Iran would definitely receive the funds.
1: I just want to ask, do you have um, any, have you come up with any concepts, seen any concepts or share any concepts as to how the Taliban can be bypassed in funneling all that money back into afghanistan in a developmental way
2: i can i can tell you that i mean the fact that gulf states including the uae and qatar are engaged with the taliban is just a sign that there might be a rehabilitation of states they've, they've rehabilitated uh, bashar al-assad there's a good chance the taliban will be rehabilitated too
1: with this speculative insight, we arrive at the end of another episode of Unscripted. We have been speaking with Dr. Mira Al-Hussein from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. As the UAE prepares to host COP28 in November, it is holding an open debate on climate peace and security at the Security Council. We touched on that, as well as how the UAE zero problem policy is holding up in the Middle East. And we ended with what would happen to Afghan foreign reserves under litigation. This episode was presented by Damilola Banjo and Kelechuku Ogo. Kelechuku Ogo was the producer, music was by Podintin Bear, and the editor is Dulcie Leinbach. This episode has been made possible with support from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the Open Society Foundation, and you, our generous readers. Unscripted is available where you get podcasts. If you liked today's show, please share it with all your friends and rate us on iTunes.